You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Okay, Psalm 34. We are journeying through the Psalms, and I'm not going to say what I usually say, that this is one of my favorite Psalms. I'm not going to say that. Uh, but I am going to say it's a really, really good one, all right? Psalm 34 is wonderful, and we're, we're uh, going to have a great time studying it tonight. Kind of a, just a quick overview of the night. We're going to look at Psalm 34. We'll have a church conference, update you on some things, and then we will have our uh, prayer time. So um, that's where we are headed. Summary of the Psalms. God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. That's what Dr. Kendall Easley says about the Psalms. That's an overarching theme of the Psalms. And then John Piper says, the Psalms are songs, they are poems, they are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's uh, people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions, he writes, are massively important, which is why we love the Psalms so much. And I've called the study tonight, Taste and See, because this is a key verse in Psalm 34. We're not going to read the entire thing on the front end. We'll work our way through it, but I want to read a few verses for you. But I want you to take note of the small letters right before verse 1. Notice it says, this is of David. David wrote this psalm, and it gives us some historical context uh, that helps to understand why this psalm was written. It says, it's when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Speaking of a period in David's life when he was hiding among the Philistines, hiding from Saul, and he feigned madness so the Philistines would not kill him. It was a dark, uh, scary moment in David's life. And uh, when he's delivered from that, he writes this psalm as he reflects upon that moment in his life. So it has uh, some historical background. One more thing I'll note before we read a few verses is this is a Hebrew acrostic, which means uh, David uses different letters of the Hebrew alphabet uh, to begin each stanza. So he starts with Aleph, then he goes to Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Havov, Zion. He works his way through the Hebrew alphabet as the first letter of each stanza, which was a way that the Hebrews liked to write poetry. It, it tells us there's some forethought in this. David was thinking deeply about this occasion in his life and thinking about God's help and deliverance uh, in this occasion in his life. So it's a Hebrew acrostic poem, beautifully Written And it really has two parts if you're trying to outline Psalm 34. The, the first part, verses 1 through 10, is a personal testimony. David just kind of sharing what happened, his own thoughts and his own story. And verses 11 through 22 are instruction. He wants to help people to understand the implications of what he had experienced. Spurgeon said the first half of the psalm is a hymn and the second half is a sermon. That's one way to think about this psalm. So let's look there. Psalm 
34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see, David says. Taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would draw near to us in these moments, give us understanding that we might glean from this passage uh, truths that we can take and apply to our lives, that we might live in a way that honors and glorifies you. Well, thank you, Lord, for that grace. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, in this psalm, David uh, speaks to three entities, if you will. First of all, uh, David speaks to himself. David speaks to himself. He talks to himself. And the reason for the talking to himself is to stir his soul up to um, praise God. In fact, that's the first bullet point under number one. David speaks to himself and he stirs himself up to praise God. He says there, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes us boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Then he invites others. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And so David is stirring himself up to praise the Lord in remembrance of what God had done for him. And then after he stirs himself up to praise God, he reminds himself of why God is worthy of his uh, praise. And there are two two aspects of God's activity in his life that David highlights to speak of God's worth. First of all, he mentions answered prayer. I want to praise God. I, I, I want my soul to praise him at all times. I want you to praise God with me, he says. Let's magnify his name together. Why? Because he's a God who answers prayer. And so there in verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my Fears. David is saying there, I called out to the Lord in the midst of my trouble. And again, we'll talk about the trouble in a minute. But I called out to the Lord in the midst of my trouble, and he answered me. He, he delivered me. Now that word in verse 4, fears, could be translated terrors. That's one of the, the translations for this word, this Hebrew word. And so it speaks of, of something that, that really captures you with terror and Fear, and he's saying, the Lord delivered me from my fears. I called to him, and he brought me out of that situation, answered prayer. And if you are looking for a reason to praise God, if you're looking for a reason to be excited about the Lord, if you're looking for a reason to open up your mouth and express God's goodness and God's majesty, if you're looking for a reason to exalt God, Look no farther than answered prayer. Aren't you glad that when we pray as his children, he turns his ear and he listens? He listens to us pray and he 
responds, answered prayer. Uh, this Sunday, I'm going to begin a sermon series where I'm going to cast some vision for our church and talk about the future. It's called the 12 Stones Initiative. More on that Sunday. Be here for that. The, over five weeks, I'm going to lay out these, these 12 stones. Excited about that. But one of, one of the things I want to talk about is, is prayer and prayer in the life of the church and, and recognizing when God answers prayer and giving him glory for the way he answers prayer. So he reminds himself of why God is worthy of his praise, answered prayer. But secondly, he mentions protection. God is worthy of praise because of his uh, protection. Look in verse 1. Uh, I'll bless the Lord at all times, including the time mentioned in the small letters before verse 1. It says he changed behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. That was the context. Now, keep that in mind and turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 21. Hold your place there, but turn to 1 Samuel 21. I want to show you this story just very quickly because it is such a striking story. 1 Samuel 21, we begin reading in verse 10. Now, here's the, uh, here's the, the context. King Saul was insanely jealous of David and was using all of the resources of his kingdom to kill David. David was on the run. It was a major part of David's uh, life, running from Saul. And in verse 10 it says, David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, uh, scholars believe that Achish is the same one called Abimelech there in uh, Psalm 34. She's another name for the king. And he goes to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said, is not this David the king of the land? Did they, did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So David is so desperate, he's so fearful for his life that he goes to the Philistines. Now remember the Philistines? Do you remember the famous Philistine named Goliath? I mean, that's kind of when David entered onto the public scene when he slew Goliath with a sling and a stone. And Goliath represented the Philistine army, enemies of the people of God. And David spent a lot of time as the general of Saul's troops fighting the Philistines. And now he runs to the Philistines for protection. He was desperate. And he shows up. And the Philistines answered the obvious question. Hey, wasn't this guy trying to kill us? I mean, wasn't this the guy that like, was the great warrior who slew thousands of us, and now he's here? And so David's saying, this is not going well. And so look what it says there in verse 13. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands. How did he do it? He made marks on the doors of the gate, let his spittle run down his beard. Then Aki said to his servants, Behold, you see, the man is mad. He's insane. Do I like madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? But in verse 1 of uh, chapter 22, it says, David departed from there. The ruse worked. It gave him enough time to, to enable escape. He departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. 
And so uh, this, this story is the background of Psalm 34. He was surrounded by enemies. They thought, this is David. He's an enemy of our people. We should kill him. And David, he again, he feigns madness to give him a little bit of time. So he finds an opportunity to escape. And he's reflecting on that in Psalm 34. And he's saying, God, thank you for your protection. Thank you for coming through. In fact, look what he says back in Psalm 34, verse 7. He writes, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. He's reflecting on God's protection in that situation. So Psalm 34 is a psalm that applies to you and to me when we find ourselves in daunting situations, just like David found himself in. I like what James Montgomery Boyce writes. So this is, aren't you glad I have my notes tonight? So this is a psalm for poor men, Boyce writes, and poor women too. It is a psalm for all those who are alone or destitute for you, if you have nothing at all or not even sure that you will live long. It is for people who find themselves at the absolute low point in life, which is where David was, or find themselves between a rock, which in this case was King Saul, and a hard place, which was King Achish. It is for you, this psalm is for you, listen, when everything seems against you. So if you ever find yourself in a situation when you're between a rock and a hard place, and everything seems against you, and you just don't know how you're going to get through it, Psalm 34 is a good psalm for you to read, because that is the context in which David wrote this psalm. So he's He's stirring up his soul to praise God because of answered prayer and because of God's protection over his life. And you and I should praise God for answered prayer, and we should also recognize his protection over our lives. And if you need evidence that God has watched over you, the evidence is you are sitting in this room tonight and your heart is beating. Can I get an amen? I mean, he's watched over you, brought you to this point. And we ought to thank God for his protection. So in this psalm, David speaks to himself. But secondly, David speaks to those who do not know God. He goes to meddling now, and he goes to preaching. He's like, what happened to me reminds me of some important truths I want to share with others. So David begins to speak to those in verse 8 who do not know God. And, and in this psalm, David calls others to place their faith in God. That's why he says in verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So David's saying, I have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. He listens to me when I pray. He watches over me. He protects me. He delivers me from daunting situations. He is with me in the midst of my terror. And David's saying, don't you want that in your life? Don't you want to have that kind of relationship with God that you can count on him and go to him with your troubles and, and bring your life situations to him? He's calling others to place their faith in God. And this, is, this verse is a, is a really powerful way to think about evangelism. In, the, um, in the, probably the 80s and the 90s, evangelism training became very, very popular in Baptist life, there was anybody here been through CWT, anybody, CW Continued Witness Training? Only Jeff, no other CWT people here. How about faith? Anybody been through faith training? 
Uh, how about evangelism explosion? Evangelism explosion. Been in the evangelism explosion. Uh, there, there are a lot of different uh, methods to, to to share your faith, and those are good. And, we're, and by the way, later on this year, we're going to do some more evangelism training because those it's important to know what to say and how to lead people to Christ. So we're gonna we're gonna do some of that. Um, but we need to make sure that we don't we don't reduce evangelism to some sharing of a formula. Evangelism, at its essence, and this is my favorite definition, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. What evangelism is. It's not us looking at others saying, well, you need to get right. It's like saying, hey, listen, I'm a sinner. I needed a Savior. I've experienced the salvation of God. His grace is good. His mercy is enough. God is my God. He watches over me. I know him personally. He saved me. He's delivered me. He's with me. I walk with him. I talk with him. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. Don't you want that in your life? That, that's what evangelism is. It's, 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 it's saying taste and see the Lord is good. And, and, and for people to take that seriously, they need to see you experiencing and reveling in the goodness of God in your personal relationship with him. So David here is calling others to place their faith in God, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then he says, or, or David calls others to fear God, to make sure they understand who God is. Look in Psalm 34, verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you as saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good things. In other words, David's saying it's a good thing to have to, to have the right comprehension of who God is, to recognize he is God and I am not, to recognize that he is holy, he is righteous, he is just, he is powerful, he knows everything, to recognize who God is and to, to have reverence for him, to fear him, to respect him, because when that happens, when you're related to God like that, God takes note of your life, he says. He says, those who, those who fear the Lord, the saints, will have no lack. They know who God is. They go to him with their concerns, and God shows up and helps them. Those who seek the Lord lack no good things. To fear God in this context is to turn from evil and embrace good. Look what it says in verse 14. Turn away, because David's preaching here, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That's what it means to uh, fear God. And, 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 and it shows up in different ways. Verse 11, he says, here's what it means to fear the Lord. He says, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? And he says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. In other words, if you fear God, you won't lie. If you fear God, you won't speak deceitful things. You won't use your tongue for evil. If you fear God, you'll turn away from evil and do good. You'll seek peace, pursue it. And that's what it means to fear God. God. And so in this psalm, David speaks to himself. In this psalm, David speaks to those who do not know God. And third and last, David speaks to those who do know God and are struggling. So the last part of this little sermonette from David deals with those who do have a relationship with God, but they need to be reminded of some things. David wanted God's people to know some things about him. First of all, he wanted them to know that God sees. Look in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. David wanted 
the people of God to remember that no matter what you're going through, God sees, God hears. He knows what you are experiencing. He sees everything. Verse 16, he wanted them to know God is on your side. Look what it says. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the the memory of them from the earth. But when the, the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears, delivers them out of all their troubles. So the, the, the verse 16 indicates that those who do not fear God don't have God on their side, which the implication is if you do fear God, God is on your side. Then in verse 17, God hears. He hears you when you pray. Verse 18, God is near. Look what it says in verse 18. I love this verse. It's, it's just powerful. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He's reminding them of who God is. He's saying, if you find yourself in daunting situations, surrounded by trouble, experiencing terrors and fears, and you don't know the way to go, know that God draws near. He draws near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. I don't know a more encouraging verse for those that are going through difficult times. If you know the Lord, the promise of Scripture is this. When your heart is broken, broken, God is near. Whether you feel it or not, God is near. You have to claim that by faith. I heard a song years ago, and I heard the song right when I was preaching through the book of Job. This was a long time ago. And, you know, the book of Job, of course, is about unexplained suffering and walking through that. And this song was called Jesus Will Meet You There by Stephen Curtis Chapman. And let me just share some words from this, from this, this song. When you think you've hit the bottom and the bottom gives way and you fall into a darkness no words can explain and you don't know how, You'll make it out alive. Jesus will meet you there. When the doctor says, I'm sorry, we don't know what else to do. And you're looking at your family wondering how they'll make it through. Whatever road this life takes you down, Jesus will meet you there. He knows the way to wherever you are. He knows the way to the depths of your heart. He knows the way because he's already been where you're going. Jesus will meet you there. Some goes, goes on to say, when the jury says guilty and the prison doors close, when the one you love says nothing, just packs up and goes. When the sunlight comes and your world's still dark, Jesus will meet you there. When you failed again and all your second chances have been used, And the heavy weight of guilt and shame is crushing down on you. And all you have is one last cry for help. Jesus will meet you there. When you realize the dreams you've had for your child won't come true. When the phone rings in the middle of the night with tragic news, whatever valley you must walk through, Jesus will meet you there. If David had heard that song, he'd say, Amen! That's what I was trying to say in Psalm 34. If you know the Lord personally, he will meet you in your brokenness. He will draw near to the brokenhearted. 
God is near. And he's reminding the saints of God of this reality. Here's the final thing. As David speaks to those who do know God and are struggling, God sees, God is on your side, God hears, God is near, God delivers. Look in verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, saves the Christian spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, but those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. In other words, God comes through, God shows up, God delivers, God rescues. That's the point that he's trying to make. And again, David is is reflecting upon his experience among the Philistines. Surrounded by enemies, they wanted to kill me, but God gave me a plan to act like a crazy man, all right? And I found an opportunity, and I was delivered from certain disaster. He's speaking here of the deliverance of God. But there's a verse I want you to kind of hone in on for a minute. Before I read the verse, I'm going to read you a statement from the ESV Study Bible about deliverance. ESV Study Bible says, the Old Testament deliverances of the righteous prefigure or foreshadow the deliverance of Christ. In other words, whenever you see God delivering in the Old Testament, it's just a, it's just a, 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 a forerunner of what he's planning to do in, in, in providing ultimate deliverance to a lost and dying world through his son, Jesus Christ. He sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, and Jesus died for our sins and rose from the grave so that if anybody places their faith and trust in Christ, they are delivered from the penalty their sin deserves. Amen? And and God just shows us over and over again in the Old Testament, I'm a deliverer. That's what I do. I'm a deliverer. And and it, it all points to the ultimate deliverance found in Christ. And there's a really important indicator that that's exactly what's happening in this verse. Look what it says there in verse 20. He keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. That verse was quoted in John 19, verse 36. Remember, it was the custom of Roman soldiers when they wanted to hasten the death of someone being crucified. It was, sun's going down, it's time to to wrap this up. They would break the legs of the person being crucified so they would no longer be able to push up on their legs and they would suffocate quickly and they would die. So, the Roman soldiers came to the cross where Jesus was hanging. And they're about to break his legs to to make sure that he's dead. But they realize he's dead. He's already died. So they don't break his legs. And John says that is a fulfillment of Psalm 34, verse 20. This verse foreshadows Jesus on the cross. It foreshadows that his... His bones would not be broken as he died for our sins. It points us to what Christ did to provide, listen, ultimate deliverance. David experienced deliverance from a scary situation. But through Christ, because of his death on the cross, we experience deliverance from our sin and from eternity in that awful place called hell. God is a deliverer. That's what God does. And this verse and the fulfillment of this verse in John 19 reminds us of that reality. So you and I 
have a consistent message that we can share in our neighborhoods, in our families, our friends, our coworkers, schoolmates. Taste and see. The Lord is good. That is a message that should be on the forefront of our minds and our hearts. All God's people said. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.